What would you call Australian? Is it Vegemite or sheep stations and a Kubra hat? What about Australian industry? What defines something as proudly Australian? What we are doing here is announcing our commitment to build the new nine future frigates, the Hunter-class frigates, will be the most advanced anti-submarine warships in the world. Accommodating 180 people on board, multiple weapons and complex systems, the proudly Australian Hunter-class frigate program represents the future of shipbuilding. It's currently being digitally designed before it takes physical shape it will eventually become the largest surface ship project in Australia's defence history. I'm Lily Cerner, a mathematician and technology buff. From an early age, I was fascinated by numbers and the endless possibilities presented by technology. This is Technically Possible, a podcast presented by BAE Systems Australia that dives into Australia's defence industry to meet people who transform technological hopes and dreams into reality. In this episode, we explore the future of Australia's shipbuilding and sustainment industry. What does it take to build a sovereign and sustainable industry that protects our nation? We ask if Australia is capable of becoming an international maritime power. But before we look to the future, we need to take a step back into the past. Steve Marsh. He's the head of production for BAE Systems Maritime Australia. Steve has spent a lifetime around ships and nearly three decades around the Osborne shipyards in South Australia. I started off as an apprentice in the UK uh, in Devonport Dockyard. I worked with defence companies uh, in various areas throughout the UK and, and some locations in Europe for a few years. Came to Australia uh, uh, to basically assist uh, some Australian companies with, with some uh, with submarine work. Uh, went back to the UK uh, and eventually decided to emigrate the, for all the obvious reasons. And now, of course, with the, uh, the Hunter program. I entered the industry uh, as an apprentice, uh, fitter and turner just as the Falklands were started. So uh, you're, you're young, you're impressionable, you've really got no idea about what's going on. And, and within, within a year or two of starting work, uh, you're seeing ships go to war. Some of the ships don't come back. The ships that do come back are, are, have quite severe battle damage. Uh, and it's, it really sort of uh, brings home uh, the importance of the work that you do, that the quality uh, really does affect people's lives. So uh, it's, it's certainly, it certainly changes the way you think about what you do and the quality of what you do and the importance to the nation from a defence perspective. The Australia that Steve arrived in had a much smaller shipbuilding industry than it has today. 30 years ago, Australia was on the cusp of building submarines. But for surface ships, it was all about the business of sustainment, servicing ships made in other countries such as the UK and the US. A bit like a mechanic who looks after your foreign-made car. But Australia wasn't building ships itself. And this was something that had been long talked about. Vice Admiral Tim Barrett is former Chief of Navy. I met up with him at Garden Island, the traditional centre for naval activity in Australia. It's an enterprise approach. It's creating an environment within Australia to consider our own abilities and to grow our own abilities 
to conceive, develop and design highly sophisticated goods through uh, technical means, through manufacturing and to look and prepare our national security for future years. With the start of projects like the Hunter Class Frigate Program just a few years ago, things were about to change. So the concept is that we will be developing a smarter workforce, a larger workforce. We will be developing and building our own industrial capability here from the ground up. Very few people know what happens beyond the breakers. Very few people know, for instance, that about 90% of all our goods that arrive in Australia for our consumption uh, arrive by sea, about 60% by value. Uh, about 98% of all of our data that's transferred doesn't go by satellite, it goes by undersea cable. How we prosper as a nation depends on our ability to keep that trade going. So Australia had to pivot from a system of not just sustaining ships made overseas, but to one of building our own ships and sustaining them smarter. The reasons for this go beyond just maintaining trade. It's about building an economic future. Peter Jennings is the executive director of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. One was simply realising that if you are contemplating spending, you know, tens of billions of dollars on defence purchases, there's quite a lot of pressure to see um, the largest amount of that money possible being spent in Australia. And in particular, we had uh, in Adelaide, in the form of the Australian uh, uh, Submarine Corporation, uh, a, um, an entity which looked like it was about to hit what was then being called the Valley of Death, where um, people would have to be laid off from the work they'd been doing, uh, building our air warfare destroyers and supporting the Collins-class submarines. Um, and so pretty quickly it became the case that um, Abbott decided that what was going to happen was uh, we would build on shore. By spending defence budget on shore, Australia not only builds ships, but also employment. But what I see in all of this is jobs. I just see so many jobs. We haven't seen this in this country at this scale for a very, very long time. This is Scott Morrison talking in mid-2020 at the Osborne Naval Shipyards in Adelaide. The growth of Australia's shipbuilding industry has meant an increase in employment opportunities, particularly for young people. Over the life of the Hunter Class Frigate Program. I'm proud to stand here today as one of the first of hundreds of ASC shipbuilding apprentices to join our team. Proud that's through the Shipbuilding Readiness Training Program. I'm one step closer to being a part of Australia's next generation of shipbuilders. It's a privilege to know that each day I come to work, I'm committing to advancing Australia and helping to keep our nation safe. At ASC Shipbuilding, we're on a journey to build sovereign industrial capability for Australia. And we are so 17-year-old Alyssa Vincenzi is doing her first year apprenticeship in shipbuilding at Osborne. My dad was is a mechanic and I've always been to workshops so I've always been fascinated by working with your hands, using metal at, to create things. So I did a trial course in year nine, uh, it was trade links and it was for metal work. Now sadly we only got a few days because some of the lecturers couldn't be there but in the end I really ended up enjoying it and so I continued that in year 11 and I started my engineering. The job offer came up of doing an apprenticeship in shipbuilding 
and I was really fascinated by it. It was just really appealing to me. So I went for the job and went through the process and got it. All my teachers were really, really happy for me, like probably the best opportunity for me to ever have. My mates were just ecstatic for me and my parents were over the moon that I had gone and gotten this job off of my own back. The scale of the shipbuilding industry has made a huge impact on Alyssa. When I first arrived at the shipyard, it was for a tour um, and we walked around the whole, well, we walked around one part of the yard and we saw uh, half of a ship, uh, the back end of a ship just being built and it was just, it was massive and I couldn't believe like people had done this themselves. Like this wasn't just machines, this is people working hard and coming together to create this huge project And as well, seeing massive, massive buildings that are, I don't know how many stories high, they're just huge. Like you can fit two ships in there perfectly. It was just mind-boggling to me. If attracting talent is essential to the health of Australia's shipbuilding future, BAE Systems' Steve Marsh believes it can't just be about attracting the usual suspects. I think it's certainly something that has been challenging us uh, over the last couple of years about how we make young people or make and is, is how we bring that interest into in into young people and how we, we help them realize what what this can be fun in a strange way and this can be but it but it is definitely rewarding. How do you how do you motivate people to be interested in something that that, that appears to be very industrial and very uh, and it, and it and it can be 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 hard work. I think I, I, I think from my perspective that there is a reward to what we do uh, and it is through the aspects of of becoming, uh, when you become really good at something and you understand what you're doing and you understand the, the, the way in which it fits into the big picture uh, of, of not only the company but the, the country, I think then you start to understand what the purpose it is of what you're doing. It's just how we tap into that, into that gold mine of 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 smartness and knowledge and excitement. And I think that's the key. This desire to be part of something bigger was a draw card for Alyssa Vincenzi. I knew absolutely nothing about shipbuilding. I had no idea, like, how, how you even built a ship. I was completely clueless, but just looking at ships and being able to see, like, this huge, huge thing that you helped build that would eventually help Australia, like, it just, it really appealed to me. The ability to manage a substantial shipyard and the Australian industry that grows around it with thousands of employees relies on an integrated approach. It's like a beehive with worker bees working together towards a common goal. Success also relies on thinking of innovative ways to streamline production processes. And often these innovations are surprisingly simple. BAE Systems production manager Steve Marsh gives the example of shipyard workstations. The, the closer you could bring the workforce to the task, then the reduced uh, reduced walk time or waste in terms of travel or material flow uh, were, was, was significantly reduced. So they were really looking at some car industry philosophy uh, in terms of just the time and and uh, workstation, uh, workstation-centric thinking. By bringing the workstation's support closer to the workers, the time it takes to find a particular tool or even use the bathroom is drastically reduced. And uh, so any one of the workers on board the ship uh, 
we're, we're always within five to seven minutes of a toilet. So in a traditional shipyard, you could walk half an hour to a toilet. So nothing changed in the context of, of, a, of the, the conditions of the worker. It just simply mean that the travel time or the waste was, was effectively uh, or significantly reduced. And when you apply that in the context of materials or information flow, as in design or assistance with a problem, once you apply that to the work center or the outfit support tower beside the ship, and it's not half hour away in an office block, the, the, the reduction in lost time just automatically uh, increases your efficiency and productivity quite significantly. It's very much about thinking outside the box, trying to think not like this is how we've always done it, uh, and trying to think, well, what can we do to improve that? Thinking outside the box doesn't stop in the shipyards once the vessel is built. A powerful fleet is also about supporting the ships throughout their life cycle. Today, we more often hear the term smart sustainment, a diagnostic and predictive activity that uses data analysis and digital insights. Imagine having a family doctor who, knowing your health history, alerts you to when you're due for a health check or need to start planning for a surgery. Without smart sustainment solutions that are able to predict the upcoming service and upgrade, our ships will quickly lose their capability edge and become very expensive to operate. To better understand the importance of smart sustainment for the Navy, I met with Sean Connolly from BAE Systems Australia. I'm the Deputy Enterprise Program Manager on the DDG MC contract. Our organisation is a managing contractor and we develop a sustainment support system um, over the transition support period, um, bringing the, um, the new DDGs from acquisition into sustainment. DDGs are destroyer ships fitted with guided missiles used primarily to carry out anti-submarine and anti-aircraft operations. The Navy and a network of Australian specialist suppliers form a DDG enterprise. They use predictive technology to look ahead and plan for the long term, to ensure the vessels perform at sea every time. These ships can be used for maximum efficiency by our Navy men and women. This local Sydney waterfront is a hive of engineering expertise that, like the rest of the world, is evolving more and more rapidly. Sean says that the data analytics are critical to modern-day maritime sustainment. To use the car analogy again, data analytics is like checking the wear and tear on your engine using state-of-the-art electronic engineering. The new class of ship that we're managing, the destroyer class, um, the, the Hobart class destroyers, is a brand new um, type of brand new platform that the, that the Navy have brought into, into service. It's the most complex, complex advanced warship that this Navy has ever seen. There's obviously a lot of new technologies and combat systems um, that are on, on the platforms. And the way that our industry is, is, I suppose, evolving in that space is that we are starting to uh, collate and aggregate a lot of data that is used to understand how we're going to maintain the ships better, more efficiently, uh, looking at the capability life cycle of those vessels um, the ability to um, provide data at, um, at a very quick time, around in a very quick time frame, is something that we I, I see in the future. There's definitely new technologies and, and data analytics that will um, help support the, um, the program or what we're doing on the ships. But there are those who question whether Australia can really be up to the task of building and sustaining a world-class maritime industry. Peter Jennings believes that Australia's small domestic market presents a test for industry growth. The challenge for Australian shipbuilding is that our, our Navy does not um, offer, is, 
enough of a market to sustain um, a sort of a long-term permanent shipbuilding capability in Australia. Uh, you know, building 12 submarines um, sounds like a lot, but actually it's a fairly limited purchase. I've heard that it amounts to something like two hours worth of production of Australian steel. But uh, the idea of um, the drumbeat was that you would uh, frankly slow production down to a point that there would always be a submarine being constructed on roughly an 18 month time frame. Um, and if you do that, well, then you are guaranteeing that uh, your industry is, is largely going to be able to operate in, in perpetuity. So 12 submarines each built on an 18 month time frame means to say by the time you get to the end of number 12, you're probably starting to think about, um, well, maybe uh, deep level maintenance uh, for, for the first of those submarines that's being constructed. And, and then uh, not long behind that, you might start building new ones all over again. And then if you expand that from the submarines to range of surface vessels, there's enough to say, yes, we can keep an industry going uh, pretty much permanently with that uh, that level of requirement. Now, uh, that's great from an industry point of view. It's it's more problematic from a strategic point of view. In 2020, Australia's maritime industry was faced with an even greater challenge when COVID-19 threw a curveball like no other. Graham Rigby is a BAE Systems Operation Manager, also located at Garden Island in Sydney looking after the sustainment of the DDG fleet in an increasingly complex world. So day-to-day interactions, it's really the, the interface between people. So you've got people who need resources to, to, to get things up and running, get meetings up and running, to do their jobs. I'm the, the string in between those things to, to, to make it happen. The Navy and the industry in general is... Um, pretty prepared for unexpected events. COVID, I don't think anyone envisaged uh, coming forward, but the reaction, we, we saw that coming. We, we saw it um, obviously overseas uh, to begin with. And as it came towards Australia, we began to manage the risk and put the controls in and start limiting people coming into the workplace. Initially, it was a little bit of a shock and we had to have people working from home and, and to get that churn and, and reg regular um, work uh, happening was a little bit difficult probably for a couple of weeks but we overcame it and it became business as usual and we managed to keep delivering right through the period um, without without sort of impacting the schedule too much. Do you think that there are new systems at play now that will be able to handle future unprecedented events? So the systems that we have in place now, so it was our existing technology of, of video um, capabilities have improved and, and we're getting more and more capabilities within the, the industry um, as a whole to communicate and um, you know, transmit work and data and, and have people work remotely. The COVID-19 pandemic highlighted national vulnerabilities when it comes to relying on foreign imports. COVID has very clearly shown the dependency on trade and how much of that trade comes from overseas, be it oil, be it pharmaceuticals, or be it the day-to-day stuff that appears on the shelves in our supermarkets. It's quite significant, but, but even to the level where uh, policy decisions that might be made by various governments, state and federal, affect how crews will bring those products here because crews at sea are affected by border restrictions and 
it means that ships that do come to Australia might lessen in number because you cannot physically bring people in and out. Uh, it's, it's an unintended consequence. By managing all facets of maritime production, Australia reduces its susceptibility to interruptions in supply. Commodore Matthew Hudson is Australia's naval attaché to Washington, D.C. It's also comforting to know that if certain supply lines are turned off, the normal supply lines that we might have, that there are alternate supply lines that we are able to access, whether they are from our own nation or elsewhere. At face value is neither here nor there. Um, But certainly um, in terms of knowing that all other avenues might be as I say, cut off from us, it is a comfort to know that um, through our own national supply lines, we're able to receive support. And importantly, when we have to return, and in my case, being in the Navy, repair ships and repair submarines, ideally we're able to do that locally. And there's all the know-how from engineering know-how through to the black trades that are able to provide that support. So what about the future? While Australia's shipbuilding industry has been through a massive evolution, is it enough? Vice Admiral Tim Barrett believes we are at a critical juncture in Australia's maritime industry development. We have the right people to be able to think broadly and then take that concept and imagine how it might look and then turn it into something that's real and effective. But I think the drive for things like the Naval Continuous Shipbuilding Program is just one of many programs that needs to be driven and needs to have resolve because it has the opportunity to to give purposeful, meaningful employment. I think uh, turning to the future, there is a a bit of a watershed moment for Navy within Australia uh, with the government announcing a Naval Continuous Shipbuilding Program. There's a new yard being built in Osborne um, that will be one of, if not the most technically advanced, major complex warship design yard that exists around the world. And I have to say, as the Chief of Navy, that is not just about more ships. I mean, I am pleased that that is a consequence of what's being said and done. So I think uh, the capacity, which is driven around this defence and government defence program and defence industry has a lot of advantage to the nation, not purely about delivering a certain number of ships to Navy. This advantage builds on Australia's international partnerships, particularly with the world's largest defence customers. And for a small population, Australia's always punched above its weight. Commodore Matthew Hudson. I would say that The US uh, holds Australia in high regard uh, in terms of where we are heading with our force structure plan, which they have visibility of and they understand full well the investment the government is making in defence and compared to other countries, uh, they respect that, they admire that and as I say, um, uh, there's been a big uptick in engagement with Australia and I wouldn't say that we are necessarily always at the front of the queue, but we're always heard and when we need to talk, they listen and they're very willing to engage. What they recognise is what we may lack in mass in terms of the quantity of companies and the quantity of uh, military uh, systems and equipment that we might produce. They do recognise the quality of what we produce. And so we have particular niche areas 
We have, for instance, uh, phased array radars in areas where we cooperate with them on the integration of systems together. They recognize that we have some very niche and good capabilities. And more generally, they appreciate the um, engineering nous uh, that we bring to the table you know, a lot of time in many of the cooperative programs that we do have. And here is what the key term is, cooperation, working across teams and industries, maintaining supply lines and sustainment, looking for innovation wherever possible and integrating that into both production workflows and strategy. For Australia, the future as a maritime power is looking bright. What do you think the future looks like in terms of capabilities? And do you think that ships will become smarter? What kind of capabilities will there be in the future? Ships are going to get a lot smarter. Um, technology's rapidly coming into our industry. Um, there's uh, a lot of um, interfaces that, that are joining um, traditionally old databases and, and, uh, and, and digital things together and in bringing those together we can get a, a holistic concept of, of where where we are in a, in a maintenance and engineering space and we can make efficient and economical decisions um, to, to put things together so the more that that connectivity comes out and the more that the technology evolves and the more that we adapt to that technology um, it, it's going to be a great place. Do you think that, uh, say, the year 2040, things will look significantly different or do you think it'll be similar? Well, I think in 2040, I think the ships will still be grey, but what's inside of them are going to be completely different. Um, Technology is uh, going to connect us in, in, a, in a very different way. Robots walking around or...? I hope so. I'm a Star Wars fan. Thanks to our guests who joined us for this episode. Next month, we continue exploring Australia's maritime powers. This episode was presented by me, Lily Cerner, and produced by BAE Systems Australia and Audiocraft. Music for this episode is by Epidemic Sound. 